What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Did you know, San Andreas' three cities closely reference three real-life cities in the western United States. Los Santos, meaning the Saints, takes the place of Los Angeles, San Fierro replaces San Francisco, and Las Venturas replaces Las Vegas. The state is named after the San Andreas Fault, a crack in the Earth's crust where two tectonic plates meet. Appropriately, the San Andreas Fault is located roughly in the middle of Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Las Vegas. Rockstar also took inspiration from their home country of Scotland. The Garver and Kincaid Bridges are based on the Fourth Road Bridge and the Fourth Rail Bridge, respectively, which link Edinburgh to Fife. Geography aside, San Andreas also takes inspiration from media and world events for its setting and characters. According to co-writer and Rockstar Games co-founder Dan Hauser, the game's comedy came from a dry British sense of humor, with the six writers constantly wanting to push boundaries. Its satire was leveled at the broader weirdness of American culture, action movies, and consumerism. As Dan Hauser said, they're all British and looking at America from the same perspective. The game alludes to the film Menace to Society multiple times, including a Grove Street gang member who's modeled after the character O-Dog. In the game's second mission, an employee at a pizza restaurant says, I feel sorry for your dad. This is a nod to a line in the movie, I feel sorry for your mother. Actor Clifton Powell played both Big Smoke in San Andreas and Chauncey in Menace to Society. Additionally, the character Alan Crawford is fashioned after the character Trey Styles from Boys in the Hood. Both Menace to Society and Boys in the Hood were released in 1992, the year the game is set. In keeping with its satirical tone, part of the game's narrative alludes to real events. The real-world LAPD Rampart scandal saw many members of the Crash anti-gang unit involved in misconduct. This created false arrests, excessive force, perjury, and planting false evidence. It was one of the largest cases of police corruption in American history, with numerous cases remaining unsolved. In San Andreas, Officer Tenpenny blackmails CJ into working with Crash and is shown to be corrupt throughout. Tenpenny's acquittal and the resulting riots in Los Santos parallel the 1992 LA riots. In 1991, taxi driver Rodney King was beaten by four officers wielding nightsticks. Despite video evidence, the officers were acquitted of all charges in 1992. This led to riots across the city, with more than 2,000 injured and over 50 killed. Rockstar didn't shy away from uncomfortable subject matter, including open criticism of their competition. During the mission Mad Dog's Rhymes, a guard remarks, I mean, How can we fracture them so bad, Tanner? You suck ass! This is a dig at Driver 3, a game by Reflections Interactive considered by many to be an inferior clone of GTA. There are billboards in the game that read, Get rid of old rubbish fast. True Grime, Street Cleaners, referencing the 2003 action game True Crime, Streets of L.A. Another parody can be seen with the bulletproof glass Max Payne, a nod to Max Payne. A hidden easter egg can be found in Area 69, a thinly veiled parody of Area 51 which is often the subject of alien conspiracy theories. By using cheats, the player can find a normally inaccessible part of the facility with a crowbar lying on a table. This is a reference to the game Half-Life, which also took place in a facility associated with extraterrestrial activity. Half-Life's protagonist Gordon Freeman wields a crowbar. 
Despite their seemingly disrespectful attitude towards other titles, Rockstar were inspired by many games. They adopted a magpie mentality, taking what they liked from other games and putting them in San Andreas. The team was impressed by the open space in Smuggler's Run, for example, and incorporated similar technology into driving through the countryside. When prompted about a morality system during an interview, Dan Hauser replied that it's left up to player choice. Outside of some main story missions, players can be moral or immoral by choice, rather than having morality imposed on them by the game. Rockstar references other games in the GTA series as well. The Jack, Queen, and King cards in Video Poker feature characters from both GTA 3 and Vice City. Claude and Catalina also make a cameo in the mission Farewell My Love. They move to Liberty City after the mission, leading to the events of GTA 3. The mission St. Mark's Bistro sees CJ return to Liberty City, though the only playable location is St. Mark's Bistro. Despite this, a large part of the city has been modeled, but without collision programming. Using a cheat device and a jetpack to avoid falling through the floor, the player can move outside the bistro. The mission Body Harvest takes its title from the Nintendo 64 game of the same name, created by Rockstar North back when they were called DMA Design. The game paved the way for GTA's success on the PlayStation 2 in a number of ways. It was the company's first 3D outing and ended up driving them to develop for the PS2. Nintendo was slated to publish the game, but was unhappy with its violent content. Supposedly, Shigeru Miyamoto wanted less gore and more puzzles. Nintendo eventually dropped the project, splintering the two companies and leading DMA to seek a new publisher. San Andreas has a handful of original Easter eggs. Climbing the south tower of the Gantt Bridge will reveal a sign that reads, There are no Easter eggs up here. Go away. The Visitor Center lists in-game facts about the bridge, such as the fact that it has 11 textures and takes up 1.27 megabytes of disk space. Failing the mission Running Dog while CJ is overweight results in unique dialogue with Big Smoke. He advises CJ to go to the gym and lose some weight. The player also can't initiate missions involving the jetpack if CJ is too heavy. Collecting all 50 oysters grants many boons, one of which allows the player to date any potential girlfriends regardless of sex appeal. This is a reference to the supposed aphrodisiac effects of oysters. Rumors have persisted for years that Bigfoot can be found in the game. Numerous supposed sightings exist, the authenticity of which are often contested. The release of the PC version made mods widely available, complicating matters even further. For their part, Rockstar have been evasive about the subject, sometimes outright denying Bigfoot's existence, and sometimes being antagonistically coy. The Japanese release of San Andreas was published by Capcom. The game received a Z rating from Japan's CERO Video Games Rating Board, which means players had to be 18 or over to legally purchase the game. Even with this age gate, the Japanese version was still censored. In January 2007, Capcom announced several changes to the game. This included pedestrians not dropping money when killed, and players were now unable to hit a character if the character was already dead. Missions containing explicit sexual acts or murder were also censored or removed entirely. As well as regional changes, there are also several differences between the PC and console versions of the game. When having prostitutes in a vehicle, the console versions keep the noises made by CJ and the girl. In the PC version, you can only hear the vehicle bumping. The PC version also has more shrubbery, but only shows one phase of the moon. It's either full or not visible. More vehicles spawn in the PS2 version, however drivers get more aggressive after you run into them on the PC version. Skin options were reduced from the PC version because of the game's health mechanic, where the character could be normal, buff, or fat depending on their choices. 
Reskinning the character became more difficult due to the different body shapes. Cooperative play was removed for the PC version of the game, but can be added back with the use of mods. Speaking of cut content, San Andreas had to leave certain things out of the final product. There are three total gangs that go unused, including an Italian mafia. There are also multiple cut character models that seem intended to add distinction between the cities. There are different taxi drivers, police outfits, and motorbike cops for each city. The models also had unused voice and sound files. Some unused audio exists for a skateboarder character who was fully voice acted and would even have ridden a skateboard. There's also data in the game's code suggesting skateboards would have been used as both a weapon and a vehicle for CJ. The model and texture still exist in the game, but there's no way to fully re-enable its weapon and vehicle capabilities. This idea was revived by Rockstar and implemented in their next release, Bully. Though there's code present for it in the game, a quadruple insane stunt can't be completed due to a coding error. A similar error prevents the player from being rewarded for completing perfect insane stunts, though these issues can be fixed by those willing to tweak the game's code. There are also a number of deleted missions. Impounded, as the title suggests, sees the player retrieve a fancy car CJ and Caesar were working on after it gets impounded. There would have been a sequel mission to that called Hold Up, also featuring Caesar. While there's a mission called Doberman in the final game, a second Doberman mission exists in the code. This unused mission is a drug bust that CJ had to complete for Officer Tenpenny. The mission named Doberman in the final game was originally called Gang Wars. The Tanked Up mission would have had CJ controlling a miniature tank to destroy buggies Berkeley had set against Zero. The mission The Truth Is Out There was supposedly meant to be given by The Truth after he was held up in Bayside for entering Area 69. The mission All-Terrain Takedown would have seen CJ entering Big Smoke's palace. Although many missions were cut, San Andreas had the capability to support mission packs, which would add additional content. Interestingly, this leftover functionality is now exploited by modders to add user-created missions into the game. There were rumors the rapper 50 Cent was going to play CJ in the run-up to the game's release, as CJ could be read as a contraction of Curtis Jackson, 50 Cent's real name. However, Rockstar denied the claim, telling Electronic Gaming Monthly he had nothing to do with this sequel. Did you know Hideo Kojima started the 800-page script for Metal Gear Solid 2 Sons of Liberty in November 1998, barely two months after the release of the original Metal Gear Solid? To motivate his team, Kojima came up with an American-style work concept. He gave every person an idea notebook, requiring them to write down at least one idea each day that might add to the gameplay. If an idea seemed promising, the team ran programming tests on it, and when a new mechanic worked and improved the game, they kept it. The abilities to dispose of bombs with the freezing spray and to peek around corners while sidling against a wall are just two of the additions that came from these notebooks. Metal Gear Solid 2 was the first game in the franchise to use motion capture. Mr. Motosada Mori, a military advisor, guided the actor's movements and proper weapon handling. Mr. Moray even made the development team reenact scenarios to get a better understanding of how the military and civilians might react in them. Though the series is fairly realistic, the style of MGS2 might nearly have gone in a different direction. An early model of Snake reveals an alternate texture style that never made it into the game. Called Shinkawa Touch Experimental Model, the texture attempts to replicate the brushwork in Yoji Shinkawa's concept art. A cel-shaded model of Mei Ling, who was eventually cut from the story, can also be found. These early models suggest different visual styles were explored before deciding on the more realistic approach of the final game. 
Sound director Kazuku Murauka wanted to use the game's increased budget to give MGS2 the Hollywood action music it deserved. When Murauka and Kojima saw the movie The Replacement Killers, they were impressed by the film's soundtrack. Murauka said, We especially liked the energy and the excellent use of synthesizers. The development team contacted the film's composer, Harry Gregson Williams, and gave him a compilation CD of his past works, burnt by Kojima himself. Gregson Williams, who's worked on Armageddon, Enemy of the State, and The Martian, remembered the incident saying, Flattery will get you everywhere. And as soon as I received the CD, I realized that I've never done a video game before, so why not do it? They seem like very decent people, so that's how I came to be doing it. According to Kojima, the original plot of the game involved nuclear weapons inspections in Iraq and Iran, and had Solid Snake trying to intercept Metal Gear while it was situated on an aircraft carrier. Unfortunately, after six months in production, tense political situations in the Middle East became a concern. Only a month before the game's release, the September 11th attacks in New York prompted the team to change the finale. The original ending had the ship Arsenal Gear dislocate the Statue of Liberty and crash into Manhattan. There is also a newscast showing the Statue of Liberty resting on Ellis Island after the credits. Another change influenced by the event was the spelling of Raiden in Japanese. It was initially written in katakana, which closely resembled the lettering for Laden. Not wanting their protagonist to be associated with Osama bin Laden, the team instead wrote Raiden in kanji. Kojima wanted Raiden to give players a new perspective on Snake. He elaborated, saying, In MGS2, I wanted to give depth to the Snake character, which is very hard to do when the player is playing Snake himself. So I got the idea of distancing the viewer from Snake to provide a more objective view of him. Thanks to this system, Snake grows in stature. When you play Raiden, who is only a beginner, and then encounter Snake, he suddenly seems more impressive. Raiden's reveal as the protagonist in MGS2 was well hidden during development. Almost nobody outside of the development team knew that Raiden existed, due to covering up Raiden's face or switching his model for Solid Snakes in promotional trailers. This was apparently a reference to Terminator 2 Judgment Day, the twist that Arnold Schwarzenegger Schwarzenegger was not the bad guy runs parallel to the twist of Snake not being the protagonist of Metal Gear Solid 2. It's no secret that Kojima often finds inspiration in Hollywood films. MGS2 also references Kojima's favorite movie, 2001 A Space Odyssey. In the opening scene, a brief shot shows the tanker's name, Discovery. This is the same name as the spacecraft operated by HAL 9000. In the same scene, Snake drops down onto the tanker in a similar way to how the Terminator is introduced in Terminator 2, kneeling on the ground with electric pulses dancing around him. Kojima created Snake and Raiden to parallel movie giants Godzilla and King Kong. Solid Snake is a creation of man and science, akin to Godzilla. Raiden, however, was lured by a woman, captured by Solidus, and taken to the city, just as King Kong was. According to Kojima, Solid Snake frees Raiden, who is free to return from whence he came. But Solid Snake is Godzilla, and as long as Metal Gear exists, he will stay with men and keep fighting. The game also makes intentional nods to the 1997 film Titanic. The beginning scene features a tanker sinking in a similar manner before transitioning into a conversation between two lovers named Jack and Rose. In MGS2, Snake uses the alias Iroquois Pliskin. The name Snake Pliskin plays homage to Kurt Russell's character Snake Pliskin in the 1981 John Carpenter film Escape from New York. And to keep the snake theme, Iroquois means rattlesnake. The character Vamp was originally meant to be female, but was changed to be male after the team created the character Fortune. For Vamp, Shinkawa took inspiration from famous Spanish flamenco dancer Joaquin Cortez. 
Vamp not only reflects his appearance, but also imitates his bold dance moves. Vamp's original theme, played in the making of Metal Gear Solid 2 documentary, even has flamenco undertones, although this theme is changed in the actual game. Vamp was somewhat merged with a cut character called the Chinaman. Based on the actor Jet Li, the Chinaman was a Vietnamese man from New York's Chinatown. He had a body dragon tattoo that came to life as soon as he dove into water. Vamp ended up inheriting a quarter of the Chinaman's moves, including walking on water and walls, as well as his boss stage. MGS2 was the first Metal Gear game where the player could freely aim weapons and observe surroundings in first-person view, which would reveal some interesting details. Killing an enemy in first person, for example, splattered blood on the player's screen. Several seagull gags were also implemented. If the player looks up at seagulls for a few seconds, bird droppings hit the screen. Running across areas where bird excrement is visible causes Raiden to slip and fall in a cartoonish manner. Dog tags were also a new addition to the series. Players get these tags by shaking down guards and pointing a gun to their head or crotch. The majority of tags are the names of fans who entered a dog tag contest on Konami's website. The developers wanted players to feel as if their actions truly affected the game's world. This included interactions with other characters. If the player aims a gun at Snake while he's sleeping in Strut B, he immediately wakes up and points his gun at Raiden. Repeated hostility will lead Snake to be wary of the player, drawing his weapon whenever the player comes near. Snake isn't the only ally you can anger either. Rose gets pretty touchy as well. If a player shoots multiple seagulls, Rose scolds Raiden for shooting defenseless animals. You can also anger her by punching or kicking hostages, or taking a peek up the hostage Jennifer's skirt. These actions cause Rose to refuse to save your progress until you apologize. Several funny, and borderline creepy, easter eggs can be found in the game too. While the colonel's AI is malfunctioning, he will spout off all kinds of gibberish. One codec has him quickly saying, these names are also chanted by Gray Fox in the first Metal Gear Solid. The words in this recurring event are train stations of the Myokin Line, which operates in the Kansai region of Japan. In the same sequence, Raiden gets a call while running naked through Arsenal Gear, and if the player doesn't answer, the radar screen is eventually replaced with a real-life silent video of a young woman. While Raiden is making his exit through Arsenal Gear, all the rooms bear names of digestive organs. Kojima took this idea from the 1940 Disney movie Pinocchio. In the film, Mon Stro, a colossal sperm whale, swallows Pinocchio and Geppetto. Kojima uses this to give the players the impression that they were being swallowed by a huge machine and gradually digested. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know Metal Gear Solid 3 was created as an apology of sorts for Metal Gear Solid 2? Although MGS2 sold well, fans were polarized. In response to this, Metal Gear Solid 3 periodically mocked Raiden. The most obvious jab was Major Ivan Raidinovich Rykov, a character that resembled Raiden. Rykov was the implied secret lover of Colonel Volgan, also known as Thunderbolt. The name Raidinovich is another joke, as it can be interpreted as Thunderbolt's bitch. Kojima explained that he intentionally placed the effeminate Rykov in MGS3 so players could vent their Raiden-induced frustrations. In a way, Kojima felt the same frustration, telling PlayStation 2 Official Magazine, I put my career on the line with Raiden. I did it to entertain people by totally destroying what I had built up, earned, and achieved with MGS1. I really wanted people to be amused by that, but they started bashing him and I guess I wasn't happy. Kojima never intended to direct Snake Eater. His goal was to hand production over to his team, but he ended up coming back when things weren't progressing as planned. Kojima has always been a fan of integrating his personal experiences into the Metal Gear franchise, the Virtuous Mission takes place on August 24th, 1964, Kojima's first birthday. He originally intended the game to be set during the year of his birth, 1963, but he also wanted the Kennedy assassination to be part of the story. Naked Snake was apparently planned to have a physical constitution similar to Arnold Schwarzenegger. As well as being bulky, he was going to stand around 6 foot 5 feet tall. Snake Eater's new jungle environments included uneven terrain, which posed a problem for developers. The solution was to drop the collision engine used in previous games and create an entirely new one. The camera angle was also an issue in the game's original release. Some complained about the camera being restricted to a top-down view. Kojima explained the choice, saying he wanted to maintain consistency between the games. In an interview with IGN, Kojima admitted another factor in this decision. When the team experimented with the camera being behind Snake, he would feel sick. Like other Metal Gear games, MGS3 took inspiration from movies, books, and TV. Some pieces of media that inspired the game were George Orwell's 1984, Papillion, Dr. No, The Great Escape, and Richard Dawkins's The Selfish Gene. According to Kojima, the team would take overnight trips to brainstorm ideas for the game. On one of these trips, he remembers seeing John McTiernan's film, Predator. The movie's jungle setting and camouflage mechanics heavily influenced the final game. After Metal Gear Solid 2 was completed, composer Harry Gregson Williams told Kojima that he didn't want to make high-tech sounding music anymore. Williams said that if the next game was set in the jungle, however, he might consider composing for it. Kojima told Williams he chose the jungle setting just to have Williams on board, even though a jungle theme was already being considered. It wasn't until all the music was composed that Kojima came clean. 
Kojima took the movie references one step further with the secret minigame, Snake vs. Monkey. The original five stages were titled as parodies of Escape from New York, the detective series Dragnet, 1968's Planet of the Apes, George Romero's Dawn of the Dead, Cape Fear, and Gone with the Wind. Though the North American and Japanese versions of Snake Eater contain five stages for Snake vs. Monkey, the European version of the game contains two additional levels, Return of the Living Apes and The Apes of Wrath. These additional levels were made due to the game's late release in Europe. This minigame was also meant to be family-friendly, with Snake immobilizing the apes with stun grenades instead of killing them. This isn't the only minigame hidden in MGS3 either. Guy Savage is a secret level that can be accessed after Snake is tortured by Colonel Volgan. Upon saving and reloading, a dream sequence will begin where the player is placed in the role of a dual-wielding swordsman. The game ends after a short time or if the player dies. Though it is not known why the minigame was included in MGS3, Kojima initially wanted Gradius to be featured in this part of the game instead. According to writer Shuyo Murata, there was talk of the minigame being expanded into a standalone game of its own, but that idea was scrapped. If the player kills Ocelot, a game over screen with the words Ocelot is dead appears, slowly transforming into the words Time Paradox. Colonel Campbell will also scold Snake for creating a time paradox. You've created a time paradox. In the Japanese game, this is another subtle movie reference. Japanese voice actor Aono Takeshi, who plays Colonel Campbell, also provided the voice of Doc Brown in the Japanese release of Back to the Future. The movie's theme of preventing a time paradox also carries over to MGS3 through Takeshi's dialogue. A food item in MGS3 called Calorie Mate is actually for sale in Japan. It's a nutritional energy product available in various flavors and comes in a block jelly or canned form. When Snake uses this item, he fully regains Snake appeared in some co-branded ads with slogans such as, If you want to survive, eat this. And, Even when you fight alone, you've got a mate. Kojima even mentioned that Snake's favorite is the chocolate-flavored Calorie Mate block. Interestingly, the game takes place nearly two decades before Calorie Mate even existed. The names of the Cobra unit were all based on emotions relating to war. Pain, fear, fury, sorrow, and joy. The end was planned to be called The Doom. The name was changed, partly due to the prominence of the game Doom 3. Kojima originally wanted the fight against the end to be an intense tactical battle that would go on for weeks. After some experiments were conducted, he was told it would be impossible. The fight with the end can be difficult, but there are ways to easily defeat him. Snake can use his sniper rifle to pick off the end while he sits in his wheelchair on the dock. This will completely skip the sniper battle in the jungle, and Snake will have to fight Ocelot unit troops instead. Another easy way to beat the end is by reaching the area where his boss battle occurs, saving the game, and turning off the console. If the player reloads the save file after a week, or puts the system clock forward a week, the end will die of old age. One of the boss's earlier designs had a snakehead tattoo on her exposed breast. This was so that when she fired a gun, her breast would jiggle and make the snake appear to be laughing. The river where Snake faces the sorrow was inspired by the River of Three Crossings, which refers to a Japanese Buddhist belief similar to the River Styx from Greek mythology. Kojima also planned for the sorrow to quote the Nose Railway Stops, an easter egg that appeared in both Metal Gear Solid 1 and 2. The overall design for the fear was based on character designer Yoji Shinkawa's initial design for Raiden. The very first concept of Raiden was a Spider-Man-like 
Sonic character who crawls on the floor on all fours. His personality was that of a weirdo who'd lick bird droppings, though Kojima rejected the idea immediately. In one scene, Snake is hit with a bolt coated in the venom of the Brazilian wandering spider. The fear describes the grim effects of the venom to intimidate Snake, but he neglects to mention one effect of the venom. As well as causing intense pain, the venom also has similar properties to Viagra, giving the victim an erection. In today's episode, we'll be exploring a bunch of trivia relating to games on the PlayStation 2. Absolutely dominating the gaming market in its heyday, the PlayStation 2 not only became the best-selling console of all time, but the system also has the biggest games library of all time. We're starting our exploration of these titles by diving into Final Fantasy X and one of the game's regional differences. In one of the game's cutscenes, there's a reference to the popular Spanish dance song Macarena, which penetrated English-speaking cultures in 1995. In the scene, Tidus mistakenly calls Macalania Temple the Macarena Temple, and follows up the reference with a sound reminiscent of the Macarena song. They say Seymour went to Macarena Temple. Macalania Temple. I. As you might expect, the dialogue in the Japanese game is different and has no musical reference at all. As revealed by Legends of Localization's Clyde Mandolin, what a guy, Tidus just incorrectly calls Makalania Temple the Malakania Temple. One of the game's localizers, Richard Honeywood, was asked about the reference by the Final Fantasy Compendium. Honeywood said, I can still remember when Alex was writing that line. I'm always a sucker for silly humor and I'm a pop culture junkie. Of course, I laughed and agreed to it at the time, so long as the <coughs> was done in a way that wouldn't seem really strange to people who didn't know the song. Another game in the series with several localization differences is Final Fantasy VII's spin-off, Dirge of Cerberus. The game's first release in Japan featured its own online multiplayer mode, and with it, a fair share of story-based missions with their own cutscenes. While the game was reworked during localization for the Western market, it was decided this feature would be removed. To compensate for its removal, Square Enix changed the missions to be single-player instead, though without any of the story elements involved. The game was released for a second time in Japan as Dirge of Cerberus International, retaining all the changes that had been made for the West, though with the inclusion of all the cutscenes that were included with the original multiplayer mode. A number of gameplay changes exist between the original Japanese release and the later international version after the original received negative criticism. It was made possible for Vincent to use attacks while in the air, he could now double jump and would run 20% faster. The game's camera was also adjusted as a way to help make navigation easier. Another game with differences to its original version is Tekken Tag Tournament. The game was originally released in arcades before hitting the PlayStation 2, with both versions having some significant differences. This was because, unlike the PlayStation version, the arcade release was made as a kit which could be used to upgrade cabinets of Tekken 3, resulting in a version of Tekken Tag that would use the same 32-bit engine and graphics of Tekken 3. When porting the game to the PS2, the graphics were massively overhauled, the soundtrack was updated and expanded, and several stages were added. While both versions play similarly, there are noticeable differences with some attacks being more or less viable between releases. While upgrading the character models for the PS2, the developers decided to add polygons for each of the characters' teeth, an addition that the series producer Harada looked back on and noted how he thought that it was a total waste of polygons. Namco aren't the only company to have experienced regret when it comes to the games industry. When Acclaim were trying to promote Shadow Man's Second Coming in the UK, or Tuakand Coming if you're a smartass, they had the morbid idea of paying relatives of people who'd recently died to use their gravestones as small billboards advertising the game. Acclaim communications manager Sean White stated, 
The concept of what we're calling deadvertising is entirely consistent with the theme of the Shadow Man's second coming game and provides us with a permanent presence for our advertising. Content and context are two important principles of marketing Shadow Man. Unsurprisingly, this was met with controversy and was seen as being in poor taste. Even the Church of England came out and said that it would not allow any of its graveyards to be used for the sake of advertising Shadow Man 2. The company claimed advertising on gravestones would be outside the codes of conduct or regulations that any formal advertising body would have to adhere to. However, the chairman of the Outdoor Advertising Association stated that any attempt to advertise on a headstone would require planning permission from a local authority, regardless of the land being public or private. Responding to the criticism, a claim acknowledged that some may find the stunt offensive, but that others from poorer backgrounds may see the opportunity as a benefit to subsidizing their burial costs and give their loved ones a unique send-off, rejecting the implication that the whole thing was morally bankrupt. Another piece of trivia from one of the PS2's spookier titles comes from Silent Hill 3. Those who played the game with a save file of Silent Hill 2 on their memory card were treated to an additional cutscene that would otherwise never be shown. The scene involved Heather contemplating reaching into a toilet, but not being able to go through with it. She then looks at the camera and asks, Who would even think of doing something so disgusting? This is in reference to a similar scene found in Silent Hill 2, which sees James Sunderland fishing a wallet out from deep within a toilet. One horror game which began his life as another title was Devil May Cry, which was initially planned as Resident Evil 4. During the game's development as a sequel, the main protagonist who would become Dante was originally named Tony. Hideki Kamiya also claimed his surname was planned to be Redgrave, in honor of Chris Redfield from Resident Evil. The idea of Tony Redgrave's name being a homage was later worked into the Devil May Cry story, notably as the journalist that Dante has a lot of respect for. Dante would even use the name as an alias during his mercenary days of demon hunting. The name was also engraved onto his signature handguns Ebony and Ivory. Tony Redgrave would later reappear in another Capcom game, Bayonetta. In the world of Bayonetta, Antonio Redgrave is a world-famous journalist and would later be confirmed as the same Antonio Redgrave that Dante held in such high regard. Our next piece of trivia comes from Dark Souls creators From Software. The soundtrack of one of their PS2 titles, Evergrace, consisted mostly of voice samples. Composer Kota Hoshino explained to Rocket Baby, At the beginning, I was thinking of expressing the voice. I recorded my voice and some sample voices and then edited them with Soundforge. It finally became the voice that you can hear in the opening of Evergrace. Hoshino wanted to create a soundtrack that would express the verge between pop and non-pop music, and besides the voice and instruments he already had, would build upon pre-arranged percussion tracks taken from a sample CD. Another auditory secret comes from Metal Gear Solid 2. The alternate name of the Patriots, the Lali Lule Lo, fun to say, so give it a go, was chosen because the English L sound does not exist in the Japanese phonetic alphabet. This makes it nearly impossible for native Japanese speakers to say, which is implied to be why the Patriots used the name. However, since the English phonetic alphabet is fairly comprehensive and contains the L sound, the concept wouldn't be translated over when the game was localized. With a game that's all about sound, the original Guitar Heroes release actually featured a hidden track which could only be accessed through a cheat device such as a Game Shark. The track was composed by Andy Buch, credited as Andrew Buch, a former member of Star for Harmonix. 
The reason for the song's lack of appearance in the titles menu is because, as a designer for the company stated, it was snuck onto the disc by someone in QA without the dev team knowing until it was too late. Needless to say, they don't work at harmonics anymore. Andy actually has a page on her own website which provides these codes to reinsert the track into the game. The song ultimately saw release on the Rock Band Network, a service to add additional songs to Rock Band, with the description, Long ago, in the dawn of our rhythm gaming civilization, there was a song. A song that rocked so hard it was banned from the land. Known by many names, those who dared seek it had to undergo a perilous quest in order to unearth it from its tomb. There was a second track on the disc which was similarly not included in the final release, but is accessible with a cheat device. Graveyard Shift has no author listed in its data, though the developers reported that an employee by the name of Aaron was behind the song's creation. The game's credits lists an Aaron DeMuth as an additional artist for the title, though it's never been confirmed whether this is the same Aaron that created the track. One of the few unlicensed releases for the PS2 has its own dirty little secret. Developed by Code Junkies and published by Dattel, MaxPlay Classic Games was a compilation of Game Boy Advance games with its own built-in emulator. While some people may have praised this idea at the time, when they played the release on their PlayStation 2 console, they were in for a disappointing ride. The 10 games that are on the disc are all remakes of classic titles, such as Invaders, Loop the Loop, Bounty Hunter X, and Pop'em. It seems the team weren't quite as capable as they had hoped, however, as when playing any of these games, the game's menu music would not stop, and the games themselves would have no sound. Shockingly, to top this off, a folder can be found on the game's disc called delete underscore me, a request which was seemingly ignored before the final product was sent to print. Inside this folder is a complete ROM for Nintendo's Metroid Fusion, a possible remnant of their testing environment for the self-coded emulator. Did you know? Shadow of the Colossus was originally codenamed Nico and was going to be a sequel to Eco. The name is a clever play on Eco and the word for two in Japanese, Ni. The second time Nico was shown, it had become Shadow of the Colossus and was no longer directly related to Eco in any clear fashion. The game's director, Fumito Ueda, explained why these connections were dropped. The ending of Eco was too final, so it didn't need a sequel. Shadow of the Colossus still has a reference to Eco in the form of an alternate skin for Agro. If you have an Eco save file on the same memory card as your file for Colossus, you'll unlock a skin which replaces the white, diamond-shaped mark on her head with a symbol resembling the eye from the Eco logo. A limited edition Shadow of the Colossus set was sold in Japan, which came with an extra disc titled Nico. The disc included several videos of what Nico might have been like. One of them shows several eco-styled warriors attacking a Colossus all at once. This could suggest the team considered having multiplayer in Nico. They've since clarified that the characters only existed as placeholders until the gameplay was finalized. While discussing the development of the giant Doorman, however, Ueda jokingly mentioned the potential of multiplayer. It wasn't implemented, but the player can control based basically every colossi. If you connect the two controllers, two people could play. The game has two notable unused items, the Mask of Titans and the Eye of the Colossus. The Mask of Titans appears to be a regular mask, but includes the text, That is the Mask of the Titans. By wearing it, thou shalt gain the power to inflict deeper wounds upon a colossus. While it's not explicitly clear why this item wasn't included in the game, there is a similar item that did make it into the game, called the Mask of Strength. 
The Strength Mask looks like a slightly downgraded version of the Mask of the Titans, but it has the exact same ability text. This suggests the Mask of Strength simply replaced the Mask of the Titans. The Eye of the Colossus is still somewhat usable in an earlier version of the game. The item changes the player's viewpoint so they can see through the eyes of the Colossus they're fighting, but it only works at a reasonably close distance. The item is well integrated with the 1st, 4th, 5th, 6th, 13th and 15th Colossi, but the perspective constantly shifts for the others. Except for with the 3rd Colossus where it doesn't work at all. The item can be used before, during or even as a fight is ending, allowing you to see through the eyes of a Colossus as they die. Shadow of the Colossus features 16 Colossi, but it was planned to host 48 of them. While 48 was simply a proposed amount by Ueda, progress did move forward with 24 of the Colossi. This number was cut to 16 due to time and quality constraints, but the unused Colossi weren't simply thrown away. Producer Kenji Kaido elaborated, We would condense the individual elements of two Colossi down into one. That way, we weren't just throwing them away, but rather combining them to make figuring out how to defeat them even more interesting. Eight of the unused Colossi made it fairly far into development before being cut. Devil was a smaller colossi that you'd attack with the bow then climb onto its back. Griffin would have been partly fought on Agro's back and had a weakness to fire. Monkey would swing from stalactites. Phoenix was covered in flames and had to be plunged into a lake. Rock was removed for being too similar to the fifth colossus, Avion. Sirius had to be trapped in stone structures during a chase. Spider had to be attacked with a sword while riding Agro. And the worm was removed for being too powerful and needing a very large arena to fight in. During development, even optional colossi with no ties the story were considered. However, though fights between Wander and the Colossi were fun, Ueda felt that having irrelevant battles didn't suit the game's direction. intense approach Team Eco took with Shadow of the Colossus, many small changes were made to the game world. For instance, Leo the 11th Colossi was originally going to fight swimming in a giant lake rather than near pools of water. Designer Masanori Kajita stated, The pools of water that remain around the completed arena were previously an entire lake. It wasn't just that we changed how to defeat Leo and thus the arena came to be the way it is today. Ueda told us to make it seem as though long ago there was once a bigger lake in the area, it was fun to create. The change was also made due to Leo's swimming speed. Making the creature's speed in water match the speed of the player made Leo seem less ferocious. The team definitely put care into how the Colossi and their world was portrayed. Animator Atsuko Fukuyama apparently walked around carrying his bicycle to get a feel of the Colossi's weight for his animations. Giantology is the name of an initially cryptic viral marketing blog used to promote the launch of Shadow of the Colossus. It launched as a blog that delved into the science of mythological creatures being written and managed by fictional character Eric Belson. Eric was supposedly an electronic store owner doing research for a book he was writing called The Age of Giants. For two months, starting just before the game's launch, the blog posted several images and videos that appeared to show evidence of the Colossi in Shadow of the Colossus existing in real places all over the world. While it was active, the site got hits from upwards of 25 million people. A surprising amount of behind-the-scenes shuffling affected the ending of Shadow of the Colossus. The game was planned to have a more upbeat alternate ending, which was tied to an unused game mechanic. Ueda explained, Originally, we had it so Wander's body would grow each time he defeated a Colossus, and we were thinking of doing something along the lines of Beauty and the Beast. The awakened girl, still unable to see, would grope around for Wander, but his form had changed. Then, as you wondered what was going to happen, the staff role would begin, but in the end, the two would happily mount aggro and ride off. The 
developers even considered including an alternate ending if the player had an eco-save file, but decided it would be unfair to some players. They didn't want to make it an unlockable either, so they just scrapped the whole thing. The mysterious doorman actually has two voice actors. Interestingly, one is a man and one is a woman. The voices of Kazuhiro Nakata and Kyoko Hikami are played at the same time in synchronization, presumably to make doorman seem genderless. Sony's latest releases have geared more towards cinematic experiences over tight, complex gameplay. While both might be included, it's clear that Sony have a keen interest in making their games resonate emotionally with their players. Back in the days of the original PlayStation, Sony published a shooter called Philosoma, which received international release. However, its sequel, which many in the West didn't know about, was left in Japan exclusively. The games differ dramatically, and the sequel certainly gears itself more towards Sony's cinematic endeavors. So, today, we'll be looking at Phase Paradox. For those who never played Philosoma, which is likely many of you, the game was released in 1995 in Japan and 96 in the West. It was developed by Epix Inc. and published by Sony. Epics are relatively unknown in the West, probably best known outside of Japan for creating Intelligent Cube and the Popo LaCroix series of RPGs. Philosoma was a typical space shooter, similar to Gallagher and Gradius, though with a shifting perspective to provide variety throughout the game, such as shifting from a top-down shooter to a side-scroller and then to a rail shooter. The game's story revolves around recently colonized Planet 220, Reports indicate that the planet has undergone a devastating attack and is in need of assistance. The player takes control of a rookie pilot called D3 under the command of Officer Nikola Michau, while they both attempt to save the planet from devastation. Phase Paradox is a continuation of Philosoma, which ends, spoiler alert, with the planet being destroyed. Despite being a direct sequel to the game, Phase Paradox plays completely differently. This time around, the game is presented in an adventure setting with minimal action having to be performed by the player. The game revolves around controlling three different characters as they traverse a spaceship in a similar gameplay style to Resident Evil, though without any of the puzzles or action segments you would expect from a survival horror. The game clearly concentrates far more on presenting a story, with the player mostly moving around a map between cutscenes, during which they will often be prompted to make one of two choices, using either the circle button or the X button. At times, decisions won't be clearly indicated as being wrong. It may be several events later that the consequences of an incorrect decision will come to light. No gunplay, no puzzles, but a whole lot of story. The story is split into chapters called phases, having the player alternate between each of the game's characters. Interestingly, each individual arc starts at different points in the title's narrative. The game follows the events on board the spaceship Gallant. The game opens with Planet 220 exploding. The Gallant suffers substantial damage from the blast embedding a large object in the ship's hangar bay. 20% of the Gallant's crew has been wiped out during the incident. The player takes control of three members of the crew. Jude Sutcliffe, a member of a damage control unit who failed to become a pilot after experiencing an accident during training. Renee Hearn, a soldier who had been put on reserve during the Gallant's mission. And Isla Hoybraten, 
a civilian who worked in the ship's biolab. After Planet 220's explosion, the crew of the Gallant has been left in disarray. Trying to establish what has happened, Jude's team is caught up in a secondary accident on the ship's transporter, after which their lieutenant goes missing, and most of the squad are killed. Both Jude and another member of his squad, Uma Remick, check the ship's security footage, only to find nobody on the ship. They also discover recorded footage of a medical unit, showing the staff in a panic firing at some unknown entity. Jude discovers Captain Nicola Michaud, the commanding officer during the rescue mission executed on Planet 220, who seems to have been placed into a stasis pod. Soon after, while exploring the ship, Jude and Uma find a medical officer who informs them that a virus is spreading across the ship and that several survivors seem to have gone mad and started attacking the crew. While much of the game is just cutscenes, it is still continuously possible throughout the story to make incorrect decisions leading to a game over. This means that much of the player's progression will be based on their decision-making. Though as there are only so many choices to make throughout the game which lead to a game over, the player must utilize the tried and tested method of trial and error to get through the bulk of the game. Each time the player is led to a game over, they have the option to return to the nearest checkpoint, replaying scenes, and potentially branching the story into a different direction. Because there is the possibility of a decision's consequences not coming into play until several other decisions after it have been made, this can send players back in the story by a fair amount. Even though the game is Japanese exclusive, all of the in-game voices are entirely in English, only having Japanese subtitles. Roger, copy. This does mean that during exploration segments, much of the displayed text will be Japanese. But, as the story is primarily delivered through dialogue in cutscenes, players who only understand English can follow what is going on with relative ease. They just won't know what choices they are making. Phase Paradox was not developed by Epix Inc., the creators of Philosoma. Instead, Sony Interactive Entertainment were at the helm of development. The game was headed by Takahiro Matsushima, who also led development of Philosoma. For cinematic director, Tatsuya Ishiyama was brought on, who would later work as a cutscene animator for Soul Calibur IV. Yoko Taro, known for his later works on the Drakengard or Nier series, worked as a visual and game designer for the project. Renee's voice was supplied by Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, who has not just worked as a voice actress on an extensive number of renowned productions and provided the vocals to the Silent Hill soundtrack, but who also acted as the voice director for Phase Paradox. Even non-playable characters in the game were given great attention to their performances, such as Uma Remick being voiced by Patricia Jha Lee, known for her work as Jill Valentine in both her motion capture and voice for Resident Evil 5. The voice of Lieutenant Lance Fuller was performed by Steve Kramer, who provided a variety of voices for a wide array of anime, TV, and video games over the years. The voice of Massimo Emerson is supplied by Jameson Price, who most recently supplied the announcer's voice for Mortal Kombat 11, as well as a ton of other games. Bob Buckles, the voice of Jude, has not just worked as a voice talent in an extensive number of anime games and TV, but has also been hired as a voice director for an even larger number of projects. It's clear, looking at this team, that Sony felt that this game would be an assured success, 
not knowing that the game would receive a mostly negative response for its gameplay, more so than any of the positives for its comparatively high-quality voice acting, graphics, and animation, with the exception of lip-syncing. Well, they weren't there a little while ago. The game was first announced in January 2001, but only with extremely scarce details. It was confirmed that the title would release on the 22nd of March that year on two DVDs. The game ended up being demonstrated during the Tokyo Game Show in 2001, while also simultaneously being postponed to May 24th. Upon release, the title ended up being released on a single DVD rather than two. By simply playing Phase Paradox, it is clear that the game was intended to reach a Western market. The characters have all been given high-quality voice actors for the English language exclusively, though this didn't stop the overall gameplay from being received negatively. The game was early in the PS2's life cycle, and in many ways, serves well as a demonstration of the PlayStation 2's graphical capabilities and the market's move to cinematic storytelling. No official reason was given as to why Phase Paradox never received international localization. But, as the title was reviewed negatively, it's possible that Sony saw it as a risk to publish outside of Japan. Marketing the game as an interactive movie experience would have been a bold push in a market that, up to that point, had very much relied more on gameplay serving to entertain its audience. Over the years that would follow, gaming as a whole began to see more push into this market, now being considered a viable element of the industry, with the likes of David Cage's Heavy Rain and Detroit Become Human, or Supermassive's Until Dawn. In the end, Phase Paradox ended up being a struggle to write about, not because of the game itself, but rather that it seems to have left very little impact with the greater gaming community and not much has been spoken of it outside of early Japanese promotional material. As home console graphics improved, horror games became more prevalent with developers. Now that they could show scary stuff with greater fidelity, it allowed them to spook their players with greater effect. Many horror games are, unsurprisingly, geared more towards adult audiences. However, today we'll be looking at a survival horror title which decided to take a change in direction for the genre, being created for younger gamers based upon a CG anime series. That game is Gregory Horror Show. Gregory Horror Show was developed by Capcom and released for the PlayStation 2 in 2003 in both Europe and Japan. The game opens with the protagonist walking through a thick fog in a forest, with no memory of how they came to this strange place. They soon see a light through the haze, guiding them into a hotel called Gregory House. Upon arrival, the player is greeted by Gregory, a mouse in charge of the residence. Though the player changes their mind about staying and decides to leave, they are told, just like the Hotel California, this is impossible. After finding out the player's name and gender, Gregory allows them entrance and provides them with a room to stay in whilst at the hotel, Room 101. During the player's first night sleeping in the hotel, they are greeted by a vision of Death, the Grim Reaper, within a dream. Death informs the player that they have become trapped within Gregory House. In exchange for the player's help, he promises to set the player free if they are willing to collect 12 lost souls from Gregory's residence. 
the player wakes from their slumber to the sound of screams coming from the adjacent room. The room is occupied by Nico Zombie, who has been locked inside. They request to be set free, asking the player to obtain the room key from Gregory. After stealing the key, Nico Zombie provides the player with their first soul. As the game progresses, more and more residents begin to occupy the hotel, and we learn more about how the hotel operates, and the many mysteries surrounding Gregory, his family, and the occupants of the hotel. Gregory Horror Show plays from a third-person perspective, and has many similarities to some iterations of Capcom's Resident Evil series. The player has the choice of playing as either a male or female protagonist, who must navigate the halls of Gregory's Haunted Hotel, solving item-based puzzles, stealing residents' souls, and avoiding the player's continued lapse into insanity. Most of the residents of the hotel will attempt to avoid the player if they still have their soul. As it is the player's goal to steal these souls, they must work out how to do so, varying in execution with each different character. For example, the first resident met is the friendly Nico Zombie, a zombie cat who will help the player on their mission. Unfortunately though, they have been confined to their room. To obtain his soul, the player must first gain access to his room by waiting for Gregory to leave his post at the reception, stealing the room key, and spying on the cat to learn of their weakness of sweets. Nico Zombie then asks the player to tell them what their weakness is, before rewarding the correct answer with their soul. More and more guests begin to appear as more souls are collected, each with their own unique requirements for stealing their souls. Rather than having a typical health gauge, the player's health is determined by their state of mind. Mental health can be recovered by sleeping it off, reading books around the haunted hotel, or by using herbs. Again, in a similar vein to Capcom's other survival horror series, Resident Evil. If the player becomes too traumatized, the character will go insane, leading to them becoming a permanent resident of Gregory House. If a character has had their soul stolen already, they will continue their routine across the game's maps, and if they spot the player, will chase them down and cause mental stress, decreasing the player's mental state by forcing them to watch a horror show. A short animated FMV changing depending on which character catches the player. After the player has witnessed a character's horror show, all guests will be randomly teleported around the hotel before they return to their regular scheduled positions. If a guest catches the player before they have handed the soul over to death, they will steal it back, forcing the player to obtain it again. Each of the game's different characters follow their own routines, based on the time of an in-game clock. By following characters and spying on them through keyholes, listening to what they're saying, a chime can be heard signifying that the player has unlocked a memo, giving the player a way of tracking each character's daily routines. As the player progresses, more characters begin to check in to the hotel, opening more resident rooms and other areas around Gregory House to explore. As more guests begin to try and hunt down the player, it becomes increasingly difficult to gather remaining souls. Additionally, guests begin to crop up who have a neutral reaction to the player, not necessarily causing harm, but simply annoyance, such as James, Gregory's grandson, who will follow the player and make a lot of noise, preventing the player from peeking through keyholes or entering certain areas. However, alongside this, neutral characters can be spoken with, with the possibility of providing hints on how to obtain souls from other guests. The player can be inflicted with several different status effects through different means, 
If the player doesn't go to sleep for over eight in-game hours, they will fall into a state of tiredness. Though tiredness has no immediate effect, staying awake for an additional two hours will lead to a headache, causing the player's mental gauge to slowly deplete. After another 30 minutes, they will be inflicted with nervousness, causing healing items to be half as effective. Confusion will come into effect after being nervous for 15 minutes, scrambling the player's movements. Losing a soul to its original owner after a horror show will inflict melancholy, causing such extreme depression that they will no longer be able to run. The player can also suffer from darkness, making it harder to see far distances. Many of these conditions can be recovered through the use of status recovery items found throughout Gregory House, or by purchasing them in the Gregory Horror Shop. As there is no in-game currency to speak of, items must instead be traded for other items based on a 1-5 to five star ranking. Gregory Horror Show started its life as an anime, created by Naomi Iwata, the same mind that would go on to create Pingu's latest Japanese original story, Pingu in the City. The original show already made use of CG for characters, making the process of replicating the visuals from the show into a game simple. With a total of 88 episodes, each running at only around 2 minutes apiece, the show ran for four seasons, each following different character arcs, mostly covering the bizarre nature of Gregory and his hotel. The series might have a very light-hearted appearance, but many of the stories followed themes of psychological turmoil, depression, and fear. The original two series of Gregory Horror Show almost looked like they belonged as cutscenes from a PlayStation 2 title, with the story being presented to the viewer as though they have arrived at Gregory House themselves with characters speaking directly to the camera, similar to the first-person cutscene sequences featured in Gregory Horror Show's video game adaptation. After the game's release came a manga adaptation of the series called Gregory Horror Show Another World, created by Tsunami Suzuki. Iwata also announced on his website in 2016 that a new series is currently in production, though at the time of this video, details have remained somewhat scarce since this initial announcement. The video game adaptation of the show includes a huge quantity of easter eggs and further divulging of character backstories from the show, such as characters providing additional information about the world of Gregory Horror Show whilst they roam the halls. Some items from the show can also be found whilst exploring. Much of Gregory Horror Show's quirks are often left up to interpretation. Remaining in the player's room can lead to voices being heard with either a criticizing or argumentative tone. It can be assumed that these voices come from the playable character's memories, perhaps suggesting the reason they ended up in the hotel to begin with. A Gregory Horror Show game was also released on mobile devices in 2018 called Gregory Horror Show Lost Qualia. The game has significant differences to the PlayStation 2 title, being more of a turn-based dungeon crawler RPG. The title has yet to receive any sort of English release or any sort of English promotion, so there's no idea as to whether this game will ever be localized outside of Japan. Gregory Horror Show was released in an interesting fashion. The show that it's based upon was mostly only recognized with Japanese audiences. With the European release, Capcom made the choice of releasing it at a discounted price, being only £20 at launch within the UK. 
While still in development in January 2003, IGN reported on the game, claiming that Capcom hoped to replicate Japanese interest in the series in North America, and that the game would be due out in the first quarter of 2004. Ultimately, the game released in August of 2003 in Japan and December in Europe. Upon the Japanese release of the game, IGN provided a hands-on article about their time with the title, suggesting that players wait for Capcom of America to assemble an English-language version. While an English-language release would come to fruition, an American release did not. In 2004, a user online posted what was Sony's alleged concept approval process, claiming that Sony Computer Entertainment of America would reject any 2D games and that gameplay plays little importance rather than graphics. It's possible, for this reasoning, that Gregory Horror Show was not given a chance with an American audience, being that the defined aesthetic of the series is that characters all appear as block-like and fairly rudimentary. This era saw many gamers raising issues with Sony's localization choices, with several games not seeing release simply because of their appearance. While this can't be confirmed as the exact reason the game never saw light in America, it certainly seems the most likely. Capcom had clearly already been working on the game with the assumption that an English localization would be published, and thus it was still released in Europe where Sony Computer Entertainment of America would not be able to determine which titles would be allowed release. Reception of Gregory Horror Show was generally quite favorable. While many were disappointed by the game's lack of an extensive playtime, they praised the unique nature of the title and its charming yet disarming appearance.